It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and the heavyweight champion of periodization. It's Nathan Nick Clark. Hello, Nathan. That's me. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that in a little bit. Um, apologies for the state of my, my voice. I've got a cold. Um, and I'm deeply sorry to Nathan for the amount of editing he's going to have to do with me coughing and sneezing throughout this episode. Um... Before we get going, thank you very much for the emails and questions to the following folk. Um, Fergus McKee, Alec Depkrinsky, who's always just so good with the questions. Um, John White, Ivan Victor, Ryan Gold, Neil Rutherford, uh, Caleb Calloway, Jake Goodyear, Paul Maslin, Gino Tabachi, Tommy P, Abdil Akani, who is a massive fan of Bardi, it seems. Um, and we've got others. So we've got so many questions that are in the running order and uh, we might get around to them. Uh, but we really appreciate all the emails, all the questions. It's um, extremely helpful to us. Uh, and, I like yeah. the way you, you have to highlight that I have one fan in amongst all of that. Well, he, well I mean, is he, he a fan or is he another one of your alt accounts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one. Uh, no, he he basically wrote a, an email in praise of you, buddy. Oh, lovely! I will Just, go and read that. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, there's a lot to talk about. So the big news today, Tuesday, we're recording on a Tuesday, which is a day later than usual because of the Fulham match. Uh, today, it seems like we have gazumped Everton in their bid for uh, Dan Juma, who is a player that we should know quite well because he played in the Premier League for Bournemouth and then in the Championship, very impressively for, for Bournemouth. Um, did we play against Villarreal? Or did we all just tune in to watch Villarreal in the Champions League run? I think yeah, we just tuned in to watch. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. he played he definitely played for them against Man U, um and gave Diego Dallo a, a dreadful time. Um but he also we've he's he definitely got an assist against us for Bournemouth in the Premier League. I remember that. Oh. Uh he is a player I, I think I have mentioned on the podcast before as someone I'd quite like Spurs to have signed. Uh, like literally when Bournemouth win the Premier League, probably when they were going down. I like him. I think he's good, but I just I don't really understand why we're signing another mostly left winger. It's um it's a bit of a conundrum to me. But um, Bardi, you didn't seem too impressed by this link, judging by your tweet. I'm just a bit disappointed by. It. I, I mean, I wasn't a huge Zaniolo fan. I don't I don't really want us to go near him. But it just seems like a little bit of a downgrade. It's not it's not really like you said. It's not really what I'm looking for. If he was a central midfielder or a central defender, I'd be really excited and I'd be a lot more positive about it. But Hearing you talk about him like that, Wendy, has, has cheered me up a bit. Mm. He's definitely got some um, qualities. So the way I would characterise him for anyone who's not watched him play is kind of think Steven Bergvine. Like, I think they're very similar players in that they are quite explosive over short distances, um, really good at kind of wriggling past players and then and then being creative. I think Dan Juma's finishing is better than Bergvine's personally. I think he's calmer. He likes to find the, the far post with, with past finishes. Um yeah, and and he can play up front probably better than Bergvine as well. Like he's played a lot 
as the lone striker for Villarreal, uh, played a lot as a second striker, so he, he he adds cover. But you know, we've got Richarlison to to play that role, and Conte hasn't used him anywhere other than on the right, pretty much. So I kind of struggle a little bit with where Danjima will fit in. Nathan, any thoughts? Yeah, I think Bergwijn's a, a useful sort of idea. I, I think that within the current squads, he's closest to Sun, right? Yeah. So we've had these links. Um, we were linked to Martin Terrier, Tallier before, um, and more explicitly just outright linked with Conte once a left-sided attacker before, um, which is really curious for a couple of reasons. One, that's where Human Sun <laughs> plays, right, and starts every game until we spent 60 million pounds on Richarlison in the summer who um, is obviously good and has played pretty much all of his minutes on one wing or the other although has played more of them on the right where he is personally ill-suited as a right footer and it's also stylistically not similar to Kulusevsky and much more similar to something sort of in between Kane and Son but if his purpose was to take minutes away from Kane he's not taken, um, as far as I can work out, any minutes away from Kane or maybe a handful of minutes away from Kane, 10 minutes or something at the end of a couple mm-hmm. of games. So um, for whatever reason, uh, us, our hierarchy, our recruitment team have decided that we need, in some moderate level of priority, um, an additional backup or competition to Human Son as well as Richarlison. Um so, yeah, we were linked to Terrier before Terrier got injured. Um, this is a loan to the end of the season, which will have apparently an option to buy. So it feels like this is just sort of a stopgap thing. And obviously, as a result, is kind of low risk. But I don't know. The obvious thing you've already said, right? Buddy's already said serious depth issues at centre back. No good right wing back. Um, are we definitely settled that Hill is the backup to Kulusevski? Are we happy with that? Is that definitely what's going to happen? Are we going to see that continue to be a fruition whenever Kulusevski is out? Are we happy with the creativity in central midfield? Are we happy that Richarlison is an adequate backup to Harry Kane and therefore can allow Kane to rest despite the fact that he hasn't done that at all? For me, left wing, and acknowledging that Son is... Um, in a rough, rough period of form. To me, left wing may well be the least urgent yeah. role in the entire squad. Yeah. Um, so it's confusing, right? Um, I don't think that Dan Yuma would be um, terrible on the right as someone who would be more focused on sticking slightly wider and being more cross-orientated, but certainly wouldn't be maximal. Again, the the message, I think it was in the Times, is it Gary Jacobs or something? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, said, explicitly said, uh, looking for a, a left-side attacker. I don't think he would be a wing-back. Um, Definitely not a wing-back. So it's odd. The, the idea that this is someone who can compete with um, contend with uh, backup potentially in the future replace Sun. Yeah, I guess so. Um, he's a good option. He's not the best option. Um, he's sort of early peak at twenty five. Um, so has some upside of development. I think um, <clears throat> when you compare a player to Sun, this is my script by the way. I've already started writing in my head for the video. <laughs> when you compare a player to Sun. Um, you have to first acknowledge what an absolute extreme outlier Sun is um, in football. One, he's probably the best finisher ever, 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 um, <laughs> which you can't really ever replace. Yeah, um, He's also got a terrible first touch, poor decision-making, plays with his head down, can't bring others into play very well. I mean, he that's harsh because um, in a sort of numerical way he does okay in terms of assists and creating chances because if he completes a dribble finds space he will then glance up and then he can make a pass but right now it feels very much the more frustrating end of that um so so in that comparison if uh if sun gets a rest which again he could have done by now when richardson was fit and did for that one game against leicester came off the bench and scored a hat trick maybe we could try that again um, but but um, if Danube comes in to take minutes away from Sun, you've got a player who's much um, 
safer, steadier, reliable, cleaner, um, dropping in to to sort of help build up the play, link up play. Um, although there's one little asterisk on that I'll come back to. Um, but a as a forwards, a much lesser forward, which is not to say that he's a bad shooter, a bad mover into space, a bad finisher. Um, he's just obviously not Sun because maybe no one is compares to Sun yep. in, in those regards, right? Um, the asterisk I wanted to point out is um, Dan Yuma, as far as I've seen, I looked at some Bournemouth, I looked at some Villarreal, I haven't looked at this season's Villarreal. Um, when he is doing link-up play, when he's doing build-up play, he is right over on the left touchline. And when Sun was playing all the way over on the left touchline, he wasn't so bad because there's more space there, there's more time, he can take the touch. Then he'll look up, then he can play back to his fullback, he can make an infield pass, he can decide it's appropriate to go for a dribble. If he dribbles his man, then he has space again to look for a cross. That is the player that Sun used to be some yeah, way back. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the player that Dan Humer's at right now. So if you take <laughs> that player and then you move them inside, um, how does Dan Humer's touch look then? I still think that on a technical level, he has a better touch. I agree. Um, but uh, there's a tiny bit of concern there. Yeah, I think that's everything I have to say on him for now. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to pick up on there. If Dan Juma can do the things... So no one can do what Sun does. But at no. the moment, not even Sun can do what Sun can do. True. So if you... Let's, let's put that aside. But what Sun can't do at the moment is the basics. If Dan Juma can come in and do the basics and then do what Sun, only Sun can do, maybe one in... 10 times or twice like maybe two out of three two out of five times then he might be a better option is that what i'm hearing maybe maybe i think the thing is right i think a lot of people have a misperception of sun this and last season right last season we spoke um repeatedly on this podcast around this time of year um when sun was bagging loads of goals about how bad he is when he's not bagging loads of goals right he's not maybe a little right but he's not massively dropped off from from this season um, to this season from last season in terms of his technical play, his build-up play, his build-up play. Um, he was just that we're seeing all of that and none of the running in behind and scoring goals or almost none of that. Um, how much of that is down to Sun himself? How much of that is down to a tactical tweak by Conte in which Kane spearheads more and Sun drops more? And how much of that is down to Spurs being much less good at controlling games and getting opportunities to play that pass? It's kind of iffy. I um, wouldn't be surprised if Sun has lost half a yard. I wouldn't be surprised if he hasn't, and we've just been terrible at exploiting his his strengths this season. Um, so if if that's the case, if the latter is the case, then that's um, it's a pretty weak trade, in my opinion. I think um, I think one could argue that if Dan Juma comes into the team. And like Bardi says, copes better with what Conte's asking him to do coming towards the ball, not yeah. not the running behind stuff. Then that would allow Conte to play Kane further up the field where he, he wants to play him clearly. Um, and that might help our build-up play. However, yeah. that would depend upon Conte actually playing Danjuma and not Sun. And from what I've seen so far this season, Conte has very little appetite to to put Son on the bench. He's been on the bench once against Leicester, the game you referenced, Nathan. Uh, and there have been numerous times where there's been an alternative option, be that Richardson before injury or playing 3-5-2 or even playing Brian Hill. Um, and he's opted not to do that. He's opted to continually pick Son uh, regardless of his form. Um, so I struggle with the idea that he'll suddenly start playing Dan Juma and someone will be on the bench. Because why wouldn't he just play Richarlison when that was an option before, right? Right. Yeah, it's confusing. I just don't think he's convinced with Richarlison in that role, and I'm not sure I'm convinced either. I've, he hasn't had a proper crack at, at it, but even against Fulham, I, just, I didn't think he was that impressive. I think Richarlison was signed as a Kane alternative, but Kane this season has been bulletproof. Just nothing's got to him. He's played every minute of every game. And then been to the World Cup and then come back and just played every minute of every game. And it's quite unexpected to see Kane like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kane has been a machine and that is a lovely segue into the Fulham game. Um, and we'll start with the lineup. So the uh, I suppose the, the the slight surprise, if anything, was, was Emerson Royale playing right wing back. Uh, and I think there's a lot to say about Emerson Royale's performance in this game and the role he played. Why, why, why was that a surprise after he did all right against against City? Why were you surprised by that? 
Um, I, because we've been rotating between the two right wing banks. Yeah, yeah Doherty has played a fair bit more recently, and yeah. this was a match that we had to win. Had to win away at a team considered a lesser team. Um, you know, Fulham doing okay in the league, but. When you look at their expected data, like massive overperformance, they're actually not a good team. They're, they're quite a poor team. They're, I think they're 14th or something in expected points. Um, so I expected Doherty to, to start. Uh, that's not to say that I was disappointed that Emerson Royale was starting. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I was a bit like, yeah, whatever, kind of makes sense. Before we talk about him, though, because I think I do want to talk quite a bit about him. I think we should just talk about the sort of the game more generally. Um, I think... The first half performance had people quite annoyed uh, and downbeat. And obviously we went in at the break, one nil ahead because Kane is just outrageous. I mean, what a fantastic turn and finish that was. Uh, but Nathan, were you concerned at all? Like, would, you, you tweeted a bunch of stuff around, like, that was our shit half, right? You, you were hopeful that we'd played the shit half and we were still winning. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so I went back and watched not so much the game, but I watched um, uh, Hoiberg. <laughs> um, people spoke very, very critically of Hoiberg, and maybe Barty has got that readied up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's nodding. <laughs> I um, I made a little compilation for you. I put it on the Discord and tags you. Oh, um, great! So I'd made a, a sort of a fail comp of Hoiberg. This isn't something I'd put out on Twitter. Um, because uh, people will take it the wrong way. This is sort of tongue in cheek, and it's and it's very. Um, I'm very aware of um, the limitations and, and problems with doing that. Um, so Hoibio gave the ball away quite a bit, um, but if you look at when he does it, he does it quite a bit, or quite a bit, a few times in the opening thirty minutes of the game, um, a couple of times in a long stretch from then until sort of around 75 minutes and then a few more times at the end of the game. For me, those are the times when Fulham were playing with intensity and we successfully rode out the period of time that Fulham were playing intensity, looked, um, what is the word I want? Very unesthetic, <laughs> very hard to watch, very unappealing, very sluggish, very uncomfortable um, in that sort of collective 40 minutes or so. Um, but managed to not concede throughout the time. Didn't concede too much, about one and a half expected goals or so from um, Fulham put up, almost, again, almost exclusively during those periods of time. And then in the stretch from 40 to 75 minutes, um, more even game, longer strings of possession for both teams. Um, when Fulham had the ball, they couldn't get into us. They couldn't really get into the box. Um, they couldn't pull us out of shape. That made Emerson Royale look really good. Um, but also we didn't do a ton with our counter-attacks anyway. And that's um, that's probably concerning, right? We should be taking advantage of game state when we're not being blown away by superior intensity. Superior intensity has been the main issue this season. Um, but putting that aside, we need to be good outside of that. We scored a goal, um, so it was sort of fine. But I don't know. Uh, do, I felt to, very apathetic throughout the game. To add to that, um, Fulham have, by a considerable distance, the highest expected goals conceded in the Premier League. Yeah. By a distance, by by like five xga. Um, that they they've struggled to um they've struggled with conceding chances and we didn't really we create, created less than one expected goals, uh and fewer than Fulham as well. A, a Fulham a Fulham bottom of the league. No no no, no. they're doing well. <laughs> they, I know like, I know they're not because all of a sudden the the stance has changed from from Fulham are terrible to Fulham being from Fulham being good. I thought last night Fulham were good. I thought they played some nice football. I thought they they troubled us. But I overall I thought that it was reasonably controlled. It could have been nicer. I'm not going to lie. It's, it was a uh, it wasn't the prettiest kind of dish Tottenham served up. But it was all right. And I think after you've been through a run that we've been getting smashed by Arsenal, getting beaten up by Man City, I think sometimes you've got to come through these kind of games and not concede. And they push as Mitrovic is a, is a handful. And I thought Dyer met someone, played, went up against someone that kind of suited him quite nicely. So I'm not a huge Dyer fan. I'm not a huge Davies fan. I, I admire the Davies journey, and I have been I have been quite a fan of his story of his redemption arc. But I do think it's it's time now to to close that chapter. But I, I thought we handled them all right. And just one more thing. 
Kane scored 266 goals, man. Kane has had a career of saving Tottenham managers. This is not something that Antonio Conte relies on to save himself. He saved Pochettino. He, he, he made Tim Sherwood one of our most impressive percentage-winning managers. <laughs> he saved Pochettino on countless of occasions. So I don't think it's an issue to say that Spurs relied on Harry Kane or used that as a stick to beat a manager with. That's, that's what Harry Kane does, man. Harry Kane saved many, many managers. I, I, think, the, um, I think the point that people would make around that is like similarly to with Mourinho um, Spurs right now have very few chances and are reliant on exceptional over over performers taking those chances in order for us to actually get anything out of games we're just not creating we're not a creative team right now Um, in fact our creativity has plummeted over the last for sure there's there's issues there's issues in build up there's issues in transition Kulisewski not quite right he's He's come back and he doesn't look the same. He, he looked like he had something wrong with his calf. He's not quite the same. And it's a bad period, man. It's a real bad period. And it's that was a good, solid three points away to a team that doesn't lose very often at home. Uh, we should talk about Emerson because a lot of people had him as their their player of the match. Um, so Nathan's already said that, it, you know, the, the, the way the game panned out made him look good. And I tend to agree, like... Spurs defended with a relatively low block and in a in quite a kind of aggressive um, but reactive way, and I think that is exactly what suits Emerson Royale. He's a he's a very good traditional right back in a counter attacking team, and that's basically the role he played yesterday. Um, but to add to that, we saw when he came on against Manchester City, Emerson finding himself in inside pockets, and that continued against Fulham. And I think that is a really interesting development and something to to keep an eye on. Um, he looks pretty comfortable driving in field or receiving in field even and I think that suits him quite nicely uh, and something I was thinking um, and it kind of touches on what Nathan was was mentioning earlier about Son well, where Son is at his best is when he hugs the left touchline and isolates a player and is able to go around him and I wondered whether Emerson Royale playing as an inverted um, wing back on the other side and, and coming inside would actually be really beneficial to Son in terms of creating more space for him, particularly as both Sessegnon and Perisic have struggled in recent weeks. And I I don't know, I just think that's something that it might be worth considering and keeping an eye on because I think Emerson Royale has, has some decent technical ability that would allow him to, to play that kind of tucked-in role that we've seen um, Cancelo and Walker and now Rico Lewis play for Man City or Zinchenko play for Arsenal. Um an extra body in midfield is always helpful in build-up. Uh, and I, I liked what Emerson Real was doing when he had the ball in midfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about Emerson. He he does shine in these kind of matches where you need to dig a hole and get dirty. And he does that kind of well. He showed why he's a decent right-back, but he's just not a very good wing-back. Coming inside, I didn't really notice that, but I, I'm not too sure if, if that's something that he's capable of, capable of doing it. Can he, can he do that? Yeah, so the the drifting inside thing, he we've seen him do that before last season when he was playing regularly um, behind Kulisevsky and, and that was quite nice. We saw him and Doherty sort of take turns um, making those movements to support Kulisevsky um, and they both look better for it. Um, in terms of him playing on the left, I think that, you know, you take a player who's been bad under pressure, put him on the opposite side, I think that's pretty risky. I think we could see him um, really struggle if he's pressed on the left-hand side. And yeah, going back to the sort of Sun on the left thing, it's like when Sun plays as like a more traditional winger, he sort of looks nicer. He looks more comfortable. Um, he drops fewer sort of three out of 10 <laughs> matches, but you lose at least a significant portion of his threat to run in behind, which is where his 10 out of 10 matches come I from. I don't know. I and don't know. I, I, I think, think? I, I think the, the out in the run, you know, across and then through was like the best song, the best version of song. Um, you know, the way he would kind of run in a straight line across the pitch to stay on side and then burst through at the last minute from, from the left touchline. I kind of loved that. Okay. Maybe I, maybe he was doing that from a narrow area. Um, but you know, if, if he, I guess under Mourinho, he was doing a bit of the touchline stuff and then recognizing Kane dropping deep and moving yeah. narrower and he's not really doing a balance. Um, he's far from all, it. He's all in. Yeah. <laughs> under Conte, right? Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe there's something to that. And then the, the left wing back swaps out. Mm. 
Yeah, the other thing um, I wanted to mention in relation to Fulham, um, Chris Thomasell and I had an interesting conversation on Straight Off the Training Ground about Spurs being caught between two styles at the moment. Um, it was post-North London derby. Conte said something interesting in the post-match press conference or interview, I can't remember which one. He, he It was basically put to him that uh, we were passive, and he said, yes, but we started the game pressing high, but then Arsenal have players that run in behind, so you, you have to be ca- be careful about that. And, and my point to Chris was, you know, it, it must be really difficult for players to get mixed messages that he wants them to press, but also they have to be cautious of Arsenal running behind. And, and Chris went on to elaborate that essentially you can't do that. If you're, if you're going to press, you have to press as a whole team. You can't just have the, the front three press and then the, maybe one of the midfielders press and everyone else sort of hang back and, and wait for a ball over the top because you, you're leaving massive amounts of space to be exploited, which is how Arsenal did exploit us early on. Um, and I kind of feel like that's what's happened against City and Fulham as well. We've been caught between occasionally pressing high, but not all going as a team. Um, and Conte did say this stuff, didn't he? When, after the World Cup break, he said that they've been working on pressing. And I think we were expecting a lot more pressing from Spurs, and yet we're not doing much. Um, and when we are, it feels like a bit of a token gesture, and as I say, only half the team are doing it. Any thoughts, media view on that? We do have moments where we press, and we press quite well. We scored a goal against City by pressing, and we had an opportunity against Fulham with some decent pressing. So we do have moments, but yeah, it's not it's not concerted, it's not focused, and it is a bit kind of off the cuff. I do think sometimes, like the, when I was young, the worst thing about Spurs was that they were really gappy. Like there was there was spaces and pockets all over the pitch where individuals could just get up and destroy us. Yeah, and it has for a while. Either we've pressed really well, or we've just uh, low block encountered really well. I do feel sometimes the centre backs are too deep compared to where the midfield is. I do think there's also an issue there that there's a, a reluctance to push high because our goalkeeper has become really erratic at, yeah. of, at reading long balls over the top. So Dyer always kind of takes a defensive stance. And uh, I do I do think our goalkeepers are fault there. We don't have a we don't have a se- defense midfield forward and goalkeepers. We have a series of departments who aren't working together. There's, as they like to say, there's no collaboration, Windy. There's there's they're all fucking siloed. <laughs> so we need um, we need to get a nice collaboration platform in there and get them talking to each other. Yeah, um, an aging forward line that is instructed to press by a, a slightly old school manager, <laughs> a back line instructed to stay relatively deep to that high press, um, a two-man midfield um, in charge of covering all of that space in between. One of whom can can do it, the other one not so much. <laughs> let's let's not get into that right now. <laughs> um, and also, you know, my my theory about about fitness issues we're also going to get into a little bit. I think um, that explains quite some way our because I I do think that we've tried to press quite a few times. Um, needs to differentiate between pressing and counter pressing. Yeah, I uh, I uh, I feel like. Uh, Trying to come up with a better term. You know how people are like, they, you're a grammar Nazi or whatever. Um, I don't like the use of that term because, uh, you know, I think it, it's a heavier term. Whatever. Um, to be like, no, you're using the term wrong, right? But um, pressing, right? Pressing is when the opposition have settled possession and they're playing out and you're closing them down. And then counter-pressing is when you had the ball a second ago, you just lost the ball. And now it's in that moment, you know, four or five seconds to try to recover it and can go, get back to where you were with your defenders pushed up to the halfway line. Right. So I think we're fine at counter-pressing. <laughs> I think we're, we've been much poorer with pressing, right? That's just a minor important differentiation that matters so much to me and probably not that much to anyone else, right? Um, but yeah, when we, we've pushed up, um, and, and tried to close down the opposition while they're playing out from the back, um, had pretty mixed results. Obviously, we're going to talk about the City game. Um, I thought we did a surprisingly brilliant job pressing City mm-hmm. in the first half. And then this other topic, City mm-hmm. then upped their intensity for the second half. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah, we need to talk a lot about fitness. But before we do that, we are once again partnered with Athletic Green. So over to Bardi. I started taking AG1 because I like the energy it gives me when I'm following a training plan. You know who else likes a training plan? My host and best friend? Um, Antonio Conte? Close. 
Harry Kane. He scored his first goal for Spurs nearly a decade ago against Hull at White Hart Lane and now he has 266 of them. He's improved, adapted and made adjustments. Do you know what else has improved over the last decade, my <laughs> friend? Uh, your takes. Yes, that is true, but I'm talking AG1. Over the last 10 years, they've worked tirelessly, making sure their formula is tip-top and are continually modifying from vitamins and minerals to their plant extracts and antioxidants. Spurs go, sun, cane, goal! I go, water, vitamin D, squeeze a lemon, scoop of AG1 and shake it and drink it. Lovely stuff. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits to support projects protecting old growth rainforests and donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. So this is a, a company we're happy to be partnered with. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
um 25% body fat freak 6 foot 11 um pulling like a a half ton off the floor yeah and then obviously in between that even like a short distance runner Usain Bolt much more muscular much more sprung than than your your you know Mohamed Farah's or whatever um, and then also, like, even within football, obviously, centre-backs are very different builds and different types of fitness to to full-backs, to wingers. Yeah, so um, I don't think that we're, we're unfit. I think that we have a problem, whether that is under-training intensity or over-training intensity or some other thing that undermines our high-intensity ability, our ability to sustain high-intensity, or perhaps... The level of intensity that we need to go to because of the tactical shortcomings we were discussing earlier in terms of a deep defense, a high front line and two blokes in the middle um, trying to do everything else in between, um, that there's some sort of issue there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I, I don't want to sort of guess too much more than that because like I'm, I'm in over my head again on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that description of me Alex from Bristol calls me a gangly idiot so it's um it was a better description for me but what if um what if our players just aren't aren't suited for a high intensity what if they just not because not everybody you can't just train and be a high performance athlete Eric Dyer, Schoibjerg, Harry Kane as well what if these guys just physically aren't able to make it work um it's possible um I think that um the two midfielders in all, all five of our box to box midfielders are are specimens uh, capable of being specimens i think that our wing backs despite um sort of tactical and technical shortcomings um are all um a pretty good level maybe doherty's a little lacking sesson has worked on his his athleticism um and i think gone up a level with that um our front line is aging, right? Um, I did a video like a year ago, maybe, on Kane's pressing, and he still presses quite smartly. He's got good awareness, curves his runs well, all sort of stuff that he'll have really mastered under Pochettino. Um, and so isn't harming us, but obviously isn't highly energetic. And next to him, on his left, um, well, is Dan Numer apparently, but <laughs> is is his son, who despite having played most of his career, and actually maybe that's an issue, um, under Schmidt, under Pochettino, um, has never been the best um, uh, presser. And obviously he's, he's losing his youthfulness and he's... Even more than that, also tactically, um, as he goes from being a sort of a high usage winger to a guy who sprints a half of the pitch in behind to score his goals, he's saving his energy for 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 a uh, for a sprint again. Different types of fitness, right? Uh, he's he's more Usain Bolt and less Mohamed Farah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always I've always had my doubts about Son's fitness. I've always mm. he's always been fast. That's that's you can't can't take that away from him. But I've always doubted him in terms of fitness. I I just don't think. I don't get the impression that he's he's like no he wasn't like Delhi fit when Delhi was before the hamstrings kind of ruined him he wasn't kind of Delhi fit he wasn't Ericsson kind of fit before before everything else I've always had my concerns about that in a twelve round boxing match between Bardi and Alex from Bristol obviously Alex has got um, he's a, he's a hobbyist <laughs> no, boxer right so so there's a there's a reasonable opportunity that he's going to knock you out in the opening four rounds but I reckon if you can get past those skip around a lot get him moving then you could you could come back late on. I'm not going to comment because it just no, I'm not going to comment about Alex from Bristol's sports performance, no. But um yes, I yeah. But yeah, I'll take him. Over twelve rounds I get him. I don't, I don't <laughs> That's the seed. Let's book it, let's go. <laughs> Aim for his ribs. Jesus, I was gonna praise you for resisting and then at the and last then, minute you went no. all in. Go Can't on. put that piece of cake in front of me and, and <laughs> if I hear the music I'm gonna dance, Wendy. <laughs> Um, I, I definitely think like this one half Tottenham thing is is something to keep an eye on. I'm intrigued to see if if Rally is correct that you know dropping out of cups and um, maybe some rotation if Conte ever rotates any players uh, that might help. Um, it'd be really interesting to see if that had an impact positively for us. Um, <clears throat> I got a question. On, I got a question on this one half Tottenham thing. So Arsenal, let's let's not. I don't want to talk about Arsenal. Let's move Arsenal. Let's Liverpool. When when Liverpool had that great team with Suarez, Sturridge, Coutinho, and the rest of them, they were insane in the first 15, 20 minutes of a game. But then they would 
they would drop off. Is it just about picking, should a team just pick how they use their energy? So Arsenal, Arsenal go crazy first 15, 20 minutes of every half. And if they don't do anything in that 20 minute window, then they kind of peter off and start low blocking and, and, and try and hit on the counter. Then second half, they go for it again. Is, aren't, we doing, aren't we doing the same thing, but we're just focusing on doing it for a longer period? So we, are, we, we coast the 41st, 45, try and get through it and then try and pick teams off in the second half. Whereas Arsenal just, Arsenal and that Liverpool team went hard as soon as possible. Hmm. I think I think um, with Arsenal, it's very much deliberate and about game state and about um, uh, the players being given a sense of autonomy to to make decisions as to whether they they go, they all press together, or they drop off. So Liverpool um, were were a bit of a freak, weren't they? Because they could uh, well we knew about all the rumors about asthma and stuff didn't we yeah they, they were an odd team in that they could basically press for 70 minutes and they could just absolutely destroy teams blow them away i think arsenal were more selective with their pressing i think spurs uh i think we start slow um i don't know if that's deliberate or not because it's like in F1, you have a set of tyres and you either burn them out immediately or you can yeah. try and conserve them and then you use them. You kind of use the freshness of them at certain periods of time. I don't agree with the, how Spurs do it. Everybody prefer a fast start and then kind of hang on. That's just, um, it I, just I, makes it more aesthetically pleasing. I guess the thing with that is if it was about being tactical with how we use our energy, we'd be seeing a lot more of what we thought we were going to see from Conte, i.e. half-time subs, switching the wing-backs over on 45, 60 minutes, really making use of the five-sub rule. And we're not seeing that. So I don't get the impression that he wants to maintain intensity throughout 90 minutes, but just can't because the players aren't fit. I, I, I think there's an element of they're not fit, but also I think there's an element of it's a choice to, to be slow, to play slow. I do think the five the five subs is an issue. If you, the, the the bench yesterday there was Longley, Tanganga, Sessignon, Davinson, and Skip. There wasn't really many kind of attacking options or anything that could really change there. Just uh, just looking up this Liverpool team you mentioned, it seems like <laughs> seems like their average squad age has gone over twenty seven, and now they're ninth in the table. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? Indeed, indeed. Um, we should we should talk about the City game a little. Uh. I mean, there's not. I don't know if there's a huge amount to say about this City game. In some ways, it kind of. I think a lot of Spurs fans got a bit overexcited, and um, and and then it came crashing back down. Perisic had an absolutely horrific game, horrific game at left wing back, which he, to, to be honest, he's threatened to do for some time. Perisic is a really bad one on one defender. I don't think he's a good defender mm. generally. Um, and it was a, it, it was a, it was a, it was a punt to play him over Sessegnon, wasn't it? His his one on one defending wasn't that bad in Serie A, I don't think. So I think this is an aging thing. Um, we talked last episode, I think, about um, Sessegnon playing against Arsenal, and we speculated that it was probably a defensive thing. And yeah. I think that um, Perisic getting getting marrezed to pieces um, sort of backs that up and, and makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, he had a really rough one, but I, that's obviously not the story of the game. I mean, uh, for me, the story of the game is, is being in a situation where I kind of wanted Spurs to lose that game going into it. And that's, that's really difficult. I mean, I have felt that way before in a much worse way when I just wanted Mourinho to get out of the club. This is not that. This is about, hmm. um, wanting City to catch Arsenal in the yeah, league. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the game started and we actually played a few nice passes and there was a bit where Kane dropped deep and shrugged off his marker mm. and we connected up nicely there. And then we started pressing quite well. And I was like, oh, go on, Tottenham. Go on. And we played some nice football. We scored a couple of goals. I'm like, come on, Tottenham. And then also we got destroyed in the second half. I was like, okay, that's probably for the best anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, any thoughts from you, Bardi? I was quite happy how we played the first half and I just we just needed 10-15 minutes of, of just keeping them quiet. I think City would have started to panic and I just think we gave we allowed them to to push the momentum. But even at 2-2, you know, we we hit the we hit the post. Paris should have scored, would have put us back in front, and then who knows what happens from there. But I think I think they just they just pressed us in the right places. Goalkeeper, defense, wing back, and we just fumbled it and we broke down. We just needed 15 minutes of peace and quiet, 15 minutes of normality, but this is Tottenham, man. They didn't make any tactical changes that I'm aware of. Pep said as much as well that there was no there was no change. It was just doing what they were already doing at a greater level of intensity, focus, passion, desire, belief, bollocks, all of that kind of so stuff. They didn't even bring on Kevin De Bruyne. 
They didn't need to. They didn't need to. They had every tool, every capacity they needed. They yeah. just needed to up their their intensity, and, and they did that. And our good pressing became, like we talked about earlier, opening ourselves up in the middle against what, for me, is still probably the best team in the country. But I still think we played some nice stuff. We got Kulisewski free a lot. We isol- We got him one-on-one down the side. We created some opportunities. He was but, fantastic. Yeah, we just needed we just needed to be a bit smarter in defence. Perhaps at half-time, maybe take off Perisic and put on Sessignon. But I don't think Perisic had done that much wrong in the first half. England produced a high-level young player that isn't a right-back challenge. Rico Lewis is ridiculous and going to be an absolute star. Uh, played really well against us, I thought. Um, I have posted a a poll for our ex-subs, which I've called temperature check, because I, I kind of want to check after the Fulham game where people are, because I, I felt like there's a little bit of a sea change uh, on social media after the Fulham match, um, having ground out a win, and then Conte, you know, said some nice things about being the manager of, of Tottenham Hotspur, and um, it, there was a lot of singing of his name in the stadium, and I wanted to get a feel for how people were feeling about where we are and, and Conte. So I gave five options. Option one, pretty optimistic for the rest of the season. I think we've had a blip, but now our good players are back and everything's going to be just fine. Top four, here we come. Option two, things could be better, but could be worse. Let's trundle on and see what happens. And hopefully Conte will sign a contract in the summer. Option three, not happy with the way things are going, to be quite honest with you. But may as well stick with him until the end of the season and move on to a new coach then when his contract's up. Option four, this is dreadful. The wind papered over the cracks. Get Conte out of my club this very second. And option five, all of these options are utterly irrelevant until Enix sell to the highest bidder. And um, most people are option two, which was things could be better but could be worse. Let's trundle on and see what happens and hopefully Conte will sign a contract in the summer. 45% of respondents mm. want Our, our, con- our Patreon audience is far more sensible than our Discord lot. That's what, that's what I take from this. It's people the same people. Patreon. It's the same people. No, 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 no. No, no, no. There's two very significant communities within our Patreon. There's the Patreon lot who are very sensible, understand their ball. And then there's Discord who just just panic at everything. It's a misery. It's a mess in there. You know, they just um, they just need to stop panicking. Option two is correct. Things could be better, could be worse. Let's trundle on. But I'm option one. I think you. I think we've had a bad time of it, but I think we'll be all right. Forty-eight percent of people, so thirty-five option three and thirteen option four, um, want Conte gone. But it kind of it's torn on when that happens, end of the season or now. Um, 2% of people think Enix need to sell to the highest bidder because that's the most important issue and 5% are in the Bardi camp optimistic for the rest of the season and top 4 here we come interesting I, I noticed then um, before we started recording someone one of these like generic Tottenham accounts tweeted something like how can we knock, knock back this man and, and included the video of Conte like punching the air and I was really surprised that all of the responses were negative, were like, basically get Conte out. So there's definitely a real divide in the fan base around Antonio Conte. Um, and Jack, uh, who, who's who been on this podcast talking about, talking about autism, um, he thinks there's a real split between the kind of hardcore match-going fans that go home and away who do support Antonio Conte mm-hmm. and pretty much everyone else including season ticket holders who just go to home matches who who are a little less in favor of Antonio Conte it's it's really fascinating it's really fascinating i don't recall a split like this since early mourinho um i i, I guess i guess we'll see where this where this goes i mean i definitely think the win against fulham means conte won't lose his job before the end of the transfer window um i can't see that happening now so I, I I suppose he's got it until the end of the season unless things go terribly. Who knows? I, I think um, the Fulham game doesn't doesn't really mean much at all. Um, you know, if, even if we'd have lost, it wouldn't have changed a ton. I just I don't feel... know. I don't know. I think if we'd lost against Fulham and then lost against Man City, I think he'd have had to go hmm. because that would like top four would have been looking really seriously unlikely. Okay. All right. Okay. No, I I I, I accept that. I, I I get what you're saying. I I am. <laughs> I get that that is like how football actually works. Yeah, yeah. In my head. Yeah. In my head. Um, it wouldn't change anything that I feel like we know about yeah, Conte's yeah. strengths and weaknesses. And that's the situation for me is, is, is that bigger picture thing again is we have to decide Levy 
and then Paratici, we have to decide who we are and what we're doing um, and what our plan is, not just for the rest of this season, but for next season. Um, in fact, the Conte hasn't signed a contract and there's less than a week in the transfer window. Um, it's a shambles, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, we don't know what we're doing. Um, we don't know whether we should be investing heavily in our current coach. We don't know whether we should be moving on immediately. We don't know whether we should be just getting by until the end of the season. Um, and for me to straddle between those three options, you're always going to fail. Um, so I, again, I think Antonio Conte is a fantastic tactician. I think I, I recognize and celebrate all of the achievements he's made in his career. I think that you can't really go too far wrong if you've managed to hire Antonio Conte. Um, it's a matter of whether he is a right fit for what it is we're trying to achieve. And I don't know what it is we're trying to achieve. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not he's a right fit. It's not Conte's fault. I've been critical and I remain very critical of um, what I, again, suspect is a fitness-based issue and how that has limited him throughout his managerial career and is, is rearing up again here. Um, but I... I still don't know what the club want, so I don't know whether Conte is the right fit or not. Um, and I suspect. So, so is it Demazio? Demazio keeps saying um, he'll be gone in the summer. He wants to go home. Yep. He's lost a bunch of friends have passed away in the last year. He wants to go back to Italy. He wants to be with his family. Um, he's not um, uh, convinced by what Spurs are doing in the market. So those factors are adding up, and he wants to go home. That that's speculative. Um, and he's been upfront about the fact that it's speculative or corrective about the fact that it's speculative rather than um, sort of confirmed communications with Conte. Yeah. Um, but man, I don't know. I just, I just, I think, what the hell are we doing? And maybe we're going to, you know, loan in Danuma. Maybe we're going to spend big on Pedro Porro and that's us back in Conte. But then potentially that's the wrong decision if he's going in the summer. So again, the whole thing is just a mess, man. Meanwhile, our director of football may or may not be a criminal, may or may not be facing um, footballing charges that may or may not affect him. Well, he is definitely facing football charges. It's a matter of whether or not they're going to affect him in this country. Um, may or may not go to, to a, a criminal court and affect him on a more legal basis with with. Um, penalties that are greater than football. He may or may not have also involved two of our players who may or may not um, be facing a ban of their own and he may or may not be fired um, off the back of all of that. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Creighton Miller. Our music is by David Lindemer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindemer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 